You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really, really, really glad that you're here. I love cold days like today because I get to learn when you move to Florida based on your winter gear. Like those that moved there during like the 2000s, they have like some kind of Ed Hardy jacket, some kind of, you know what I mean? One of those. If you moved here in the 90s, you've got some kind of like flannel grunge thing happening. And then if you moved here in the 80s, you're wearing a members only jacket. And I'm here to tell you, you are the last member. So, uh, but I don't know if you remember the first time that you went to church in your life. I, I do. I remember it vividly just because of what happened. I was five years old. It was also 1978 at that time. Now, don't be confused by the dates. I, I'm only 32 years old. But, um, but <laughs> so I, I went to church with my grandmother uh, and all of my Star Wars toys. And uh, I had this Darth Vader carrying case that I took with me everywhere. And it had all of my action figures inside. And so I, she dropped me off at Sunday school and then uh, with my carrying case. And I, remember, I vividly remember the, the teaching. It was on the importance of generosity. I didn't know what generosity was, but I was explained what it was during the lesson. So after church, I was sitting on the steps of the church waiting for my grandmother to get done talking to people. And when, while she was doing that, I opened up my carrying case and I was playing with this action figure. And you'll see it here. Um, this is a dude whose name is Greedo. Now, how many of you know who he is? I can just ask that. Okay, very good. This is my kids raising their hand. That's good parenting right there. Now, I am amazed at the number of people I meet who haven't seen Star Wars. And I'm just like, didn't you have parents who loved you? Um, and I, like, I remember my former assistant here at Calvary, um, she had never seen Star Wars. And, uh, and then she's not here. She went to law school. I mean, people waste their lives going to these things instead of staying with us. But anyway, but her, she never seen Star Wars. It, it, it hindered our ability to work together. Because I would make some Star Wars-related joke, and she wouldn't laugh. And I'd feel old and then feel bad about myself. You see how that whole thing kind of works? And so, anyway, but one time, she was there and, and a few other people from church, and we were, um, we were having, all, all, having, all having lunch together. And they were asking me questions about Star Wars. Like, can you explain the plot to us? And I'm like, I'd be happy to do that. And then they'd say, who is the hairy guy? And I'm like, that's Chewbacca. And they're like, who are the robots? And I'm like... That's R2 and 3PO, and they are not robots. They're droids. It's totally different. And, and then, they, then one of the guys that was there was like, oh, I know that. I, I think I saw part of that. That's where the two robots, they fly around in the spaceship getting into trouble. And I said, that could be the worst plot description of a movie of all time. Two robots fly around getting into trouble. No one wants to see that. Well, anyway, his name is Greedo. And he's in Star Wars for just a couple of minutes before he gets blown away by Han Solo. And I had two Greedo action figures. And I was taking Greedo, and I was throwing him up in the air and catching him and throwing him up in the air and catching him, throwing him up in the air and catching him. And then one time I threw him up in the air, he did not come down. And I started panicking. I was hyperventilating. I couldn't find him. I'm frantically looking because uh, I got to find this thing. And then one of the kids that was in the class with me he found Greedo and gave it to me. And I don't know what happened. Something about the Sunday school lesson must have stuck because contrary to every natural bone in my body, I went to put the Greedo back and I saw that I had two. And I'm like, you know what? And I gave the kid my Greedo toy um, that, that he had found for me. It was the first generous thing I had ever done in my life. And here's the thing that I wish I could tell you is that Generosity came very easily to me the moment that Jesus and Star Wars collided in my life. But it didn't. I found generosity very difficult because I grew up like all kids do because kids grow up, we enter the world, all of us, we enter the world as takers, not givers. I have three children and it was the same with all three of them. They're, when they were young, you couldn't totally understand what they were saying, but there was two words that they could say with perfect diction and that is no and mine. And a lot of times they would combine them uh, and they could say it perfectly. Like they grabbed my car keys. Can I have my car keys? No, mine. Even at an early age, they understood that possession was nine tenths of the law. And so now 
And a person comes to know Jesus, and the hope is that they experience the joy of generosity, but, uh, and, and that that's part of the key of living a blessed life. Now, I start this, and I know that what can happen is like, you're here and you're like, oh, no. Here, we, you're not going to do this. I invited a friend to come with me today. This is not the day you're going to teach on giving. So relax. This is not a message on giving. So literally, just this, in fact, this message probably isn't it for you. This is a message for rich people. Because that's, that's what the text talks about, rich people. So just like, this doesn't even apply to you. So you can just sit back and let the rich people among us squirm for the time that we're together. Um, but it is strange that most people who are rich don't realize that they're rich. Um, a study was done, and they asked people who make $100,000 a year if they thought they were rich, and they said no. And they said, who do you think is rich? And people who make 100 grand a year said anyone who makes 200 or more. So the people doing the study went to people who made $200,000, said, do you consider yourselves rich? They said, no. They said, what do you think constitutes being rich? They said, anyone who makes 400000 or more is rich. So they went to people who make $400,000 a year and said, do you consider yourself rich? And those people said, no. They said, well, what do you think is rich? They said, anyone who makes $800,000 or more. Do you see the pattern that's forming here? And that is that most people, even if they are rich, don't feel rich. Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird that if you live in a household, right, most of us do, where your income, your household income is more than $50,000, and if you live anywhere in this area, it's probably double that, um, then you are in the top 1.5% of income earners in the world. You never thought of yourself as one of those one percenters that people always complain about, but you are them, uh, to the rest of the world anyway. Uh, and then that's just the reality. Most of the world looks at us and says, well, those are, those are all rich people. Think about this. Only 9% of people in the world own a car. And I have this fleeting suspicion that some of you filthy rich people own oh, too. I have this suspicion, right? And so, but it is weird, right? Um, and I'm telling you, we just don't, we don't think of it because we look around at everybody else and everybody else is kind of living the way we're living and it doesn't feel that way. It's everybody that makes twice as much as whatever we make. That's the people who are rich. But the truth is, if you've ever walked into a closet full of clothes and uttered these words, I have nothing to wear, then you're rich. If you have ever stood in line to buy an iPhone while holding your current iPhone, then you're rich. If you have ever opened an Amazon box and said these words, oh yeah, I forgot I ordered that. <laughs> then you, my friend, are rich. And I'm sorry to tell you, but that's just the case. And now, let me just tell you, um, because sometimes we can, and I know in some churches it's kind of a weird thing, but um, this is not a message about me trying to teach you how to get rich. Um, I'm sure there are places you can go to hear that message. I, I, don't, I don't know that message. My message is not to teach you how to get rich. I want to teach you how to be rich because most of us already are. You see, we found out, most of us just found out that we're rich. We didn't even realize it. And the reason that we didn't think we were is because, once again, everybody else around us is living like us, and we don't think we're rich, and so there's no reason to think that they're rich. And, and here's the thing that we, I want to spend some time talking about today, that it is possible to have money and be broke. And it's possible to be rich before a dollar ever comes into your life. Because we want to be rich in things that matter. And that is the final lesson that Paul has for Timothy in this little book that we've been studying together. Now, if you haven't been with us, we are in the eighth message of a series that we've been calling Old School. And it is, uh, we've been working our way through this little letter in the New Testament that's called 1 Timothy. Now, to give you a little bit of background, um, Timothy was Paul's protege. He was his son in the faith. And so Paul had planted this church in Ephesus. If you don't know where Ephesus is, it's in basically modern-day Turkey in the Middle East. And... He had planted that church, and he sent Timothy to pastor the church there 
Now, Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire, the largest outside of the city of Rome. And it was a very diverse city. It was a diverse city socially. It was a diverse city ethnically. It was a diverse city religiously. And while everyone in that culture was very confused and constantly changing what they thought was true and right and good, Paul had this very simple old school message sharing these unchanging truths that can serve to us like latitude and longitude in our lives. We can chart the course of our lives by them. And so what Paul is going to do in this final message that we're going to look at, he's going to encourage Timothy, as he did in the very beginning of the book, he does it at the end too, to fight the good fight. Because as Christians, we don't fight the way other people fight. Other people sling mud, other people get personal, other people make those who don't agree with them their enemy, but that is not the Jesus way. What Christians do is that we love people that we disagree with. We stand for what's true and we show them what's right by the way that we live and how it is that we answer. And that's the heart of what we're going to talk about today. Paul's going to teach Timothy how to be rich, how to be rich in character, how to be rich in grace, rich in generosity, how to be rich in wisdom and knowledge. And if we're rich in these things, if a few bucks ever comes your way, you'll be able to possess them without it possessing you. And so he's going to show us how to be rich in things that matter and things that honor God. We're going to start in First uh, Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. Here's what we read. He says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before uh, Jesus Christ who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blemish, or blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. If you pause there and you're a note taker, there's three things we're going to talk about that we want to be rich in. Here's the first one. And that is that learn to be rich in proven character. Proven character. Now, when Paul says, and once again, as I said this last time, sometimes when there's these chapter and verse divisions, they can cause some confusion because we think like, well, Paul's starting this brand new thought. And it's not. When he says, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Like flee what things? It's the things that he was talking about in uh, the last section where he says in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil for those uh, have strayed concerning the faith because they've gone after these things and they've suffered shipwreck in their lives. And so, and one of the things we said last time is that this is one of the most famous and yet one of the most misquoted verses where people say money is the root of all evil. It's that the verse actually says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil because all of us know that money is an inanimate object. And so, but it's the value that we place on it. When we make it the ultimate thing in our lives, it can destroy. And so what Paul says is flee that and pursue things that are worth pursuing. And he lists out six things. He says, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now, I want you to notice this, that when he talks about the things that we should pursue, he uses these three words. That, we're, that we notice it here in the beginning. He says, I want you to flee these things. I want you to pursue these things. I want you to fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, I want you to lay hold on eternal life. Did you notice that these are not passive terms? When he says lay hold on eternal life, that's like lay hold to seize. It's talking about what the word picture is used to, to what you would, how you would catch a criminal. You grab hold of them, arrest them. When he says fight the good fight, the Greek word is the Greek word that we translate agonize. So I want you to realize that this is not, uh, these are not passive terms. Dare I say they are aggressive terms. So when we talk about spiritual maturity and godly character, these are not things that are passively attained. Instead, they are sought after and developed and they make person rich in things that will impact you, your family, and your community and world deeply. And the way that Paul describes this in typical Jewish fashion in this, uh, there's this just like in poetry and English, we have certain uh, rules in which we go by. In, in Hebrew, they would use these couplets. And that is when you describe, have a list of things, they would be coupled together. So characteristics would be done in, in two. So this is the same thing here. He lists six qualities 
but he pairs them together in three sets of two. So that's why when he says righteousness and godliness, these things go together. Because righteousness is not a word that we use very much in our culture, except when we are using it in a negative way, when we say that someone is self-righteous. But the word righteous simply means a person who does what's right. And godly is the motive behind it. So it's the person who does right for the right reasons. And then you see that pairing again in the next two words when he talks about faith and love. Faith being the active trust in God internally that then love expresses itself externally because if you have faith internally, it expresses itself through love. Then the other two, the last two, patience and gentleness, these are a little bit tricky because of how the words are used in our culture because we think of patience and then we think of someone sitting at the DMV waiting to renew their driver's license, right? You're just sitting there for an eternity. Well, that's not what that means. It it actually, patience literally means this. It means endurance. It's not just a person who's sitting in a chair waiting. It's a person who is waiting for the resolution of something and they're not giving up. And then coupled with that is gentleness. And that, once again, we think gentleness means they're not violent, but what it literally means is a person who has power, but that power is under control. It's the definition uh, of a word that we rarely use in our language, the definition of the word meekness. The problem is that's not the way of the world. The way of the world then and the way of the world now is that, you know, that, that's, not, that's not how things work, right? Paul and Timothy lived in a world that was under the rule of Rome, and the world was conquered by Rome. And before that, the, room, the world was conquered by the Greeks. And before that, the world was conquered by the Medes and Persians. And before that, the world was conquered by the Babylonians. And before that, was conquered by the Assyrians. And you just keep going back. And the way of the world has been, if you want something, you overpower the person who has it and you take it. But there is a counterintuitive way of the kingdom of God where we don't play by the world's rules. And that Jesus modeled this for us when he gave the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. He said this in Matthew chapter 5. You'll see it up on the screen. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I, I can only imagine the people that were listening to Jesus that were thinking, blessed are the meek. Like, that's not the way it works. Meek don't inherit the earth. Forceful people take it. The way of the world from the beginning of time has been rule number one, get power. Rule number two, keep power. And Jesus is giving us an entire worldview in that one little verse. The world has to conquer the earth to get what it wants because no one's looking out for them. But as children of God, listen, we inherit everything by nature of who we belong to. But what that takes, listen, what that takes is we have to make a decision that we're not going to live by the culture's rules and instead we're going to embrace the promises of God. And when we do, life begins to change. And these virtues that Paul is talking about here are seen and then God works on our behalf. But we cannot have it both ways. We can't operate in the ways of the world and lack character to get ahead and then wonder why God isn't blessing us. We've got to make a decision as to what worldview we're going to live by. When I was, uh, some of you know this, that before starting Calvary, I used to run a college. And the building that we met in had, uh, at the time, some of it was under construction, but our college was there, and then there was this architectural firm that met there as well. And when you walked in, there was this huge reception area, and there was this amazing leather chair that no one used. And every morning I would walk in, this is for the better part of a year, I walked in and I just saw this chair that nobody used. So I talked to this guy whose name was Ted, who was the facility manager, and I said, Ted, listen, if no one's going to use that chair, can I have it? And he said, I I don't know that that's going to be a problem, but let me send it up the chain and make sure that it's okay. He says, so give me a little bit of time, but I'll get back to you. So a month goes by and I don't hear anything. Now understand, I'm walking past this desk and I see this chair doing nothing. And the chair that I had at the time was trash. Every time I sat in it, my back hurt more than it did when I, before I sat down. And so anyway, now about three months go by and I still haven't heard back. And one day I was just like, that's it. I get in my car and I buy a chair at Office Depot. I strap it to the roof of my car uh, during lunch and I'm driving it back to my office. Now, the way it works, and, and it was such a mission to get it 
there and the thing fell off. And, you know, I had like this weird little rope and then the rope, then the, the, the chair was stuck to the side of my car because the rope, anyway, just it moved so it wasn't tight enough. And so anyway, then I got to stop in the middle of the street, put the thing back, and then I got to do like the most Cuban thing I've ever done in my life. And that is as I'm driving, I'm just holding the chair <laughs> like this. And I don't know what, every time I see two guys driving in a truck and they've got like five, you know, sheets of plywood and they're just holding it like this. And I'm like, for sure, those guys are Cuban because that is just part of the DNA that there's like, they don't understand like wind resistance, wind resistance. And so, you know, that didn't exist. And so they just think, you know, that that's, and, and I, anyway, so that doesn't, that doesn't work, but they just think they do this and that can hold anything. So anyway, um, so I get to my office and I, uh, I'm going to start building the chair. Now there was nobody was doing class at the time. So I'm like right in the middle of, uh, kind of our lobby entrance to this, where the school is. And so I open my office to put my keys down and the chair from the front desk is behind my desk. And I'm like, Oh no. Why, like, this was your moment three months later that you were going to give me the chair? So now I'm like, I can't take the chair back. It was such a mission to get it here. So I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build the chair. I'm going to give the chair to my assistant. And she's going to come in, and she's going to be like, Bob, did you get me a new chair? And I'm going to be like, that's how much we appreciate you here at the college. (laughs) I just thought you'd probably like a chair, and so I went and bought one for you. So that was my plan. So now the plan is I've got to build this as fast as possible. So I rip open the box, and I start building the thing. And I'm about halfway through building it, and I'm laying on the floor, uh, screwing in the base of the chair with, you know, uh, the the bottom of the chair with the base where the the wheels and all that are. And then I, I hear the door open to the school, and I see these shoes come towards me, and I kind of peek out. And it's the guy, Ted, the guy that's the facility manager. And he says, um, hey, Bob, what's this? And I'm like, what's what? <laughs> and he says, uh, did you buy a chair? Chair? I'll give you that idea. This is just, I'm just doing repa- normal repairs. It's what any college administrator would do. And, uh, and, and then, I mean, he was like, why did you do that? Didn't I tell you? that I was going to do this for you? You just had to give me some time? And, and he just kind of like really went in and, 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 and I, I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. And then he just walked out and I was just like, I don't even know if we're okay or not. And, and I, then I finished building the chair and then I sat down in the chair that I wanted. And I sat down in the chair for like an hour and I felt so guilty that I ended up giving that chair to my assistant and I kept the chair that I had built. And then she came in and she's like, wow, you got me a chair? I'm like, that's how much we love you at this school. Uh, we just want to make sure that you have a good seating experience. And uh, now, now here's, here's my point, is that we've got to decide how we want to do things. Are we going to be patient? Are we going to trust God knowing that if we live by his rules that things are going to, things are going to work out in the way that they, we, we believe that, that they should? Or are we going to live by the world's rules? But we can't have both. And this is why Paul tells Timothy, look, he says, but you, O man of God. That's not just him saying, that is a title that is given in the scriptures uh, to a very short list of people. Here's a quick list of some people that are called man of God. Moses was called the man of God. Samuel, the prophet, was called man of God. King David, man of God. The prophet Elijah, the prophet Elisha were called man of God. And now young Timothy, man of God. I love the counsel that David, the man of God, gives to his son Solomon. He says this. It's right here. Here we go. It says, And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. You see, when you're rich in character, God has a way of directing your steps and taking you farther than you could have ever gone on your own. Well, he's going to push this idea a little bit further. And he says this in verse 17. He says this. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. 
that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you if you're a note taker. And that is learn to be rich in joyful generosity. Paul gives these six commands to those who are rich. Now, we talked about that a few of us in this room, based on this little survey that we did, it might apply to a few of us here. But I want you to notice Paul doesn't condemn those who are rich. Instead, what he does is he gives instruction to those who are rich so they don't end up being so poor, all they have is money. And so he says this when he begins. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. That is not to be arrogant, thinking that they're better than someone else because they have more. And you know what's interesting? You know what I have observed, especially in our culture, is just the opposite, is that someone who has more, we tend to look down on ourselves for not having what someone else has. And I I don't know if you've ever noticed this strange phenomenon in American culture that happens. But have you noticed this, that when someone in your neighborhood gets a new car, this virus goes through the neighborhood that is more contagious than coronavirus. And I'm telling you, somebody gets a new car in your neighborhood, and now new cars stop, start popping up over the next six months. Um, there was a guy in my neighborhood that bought this really nice sports car recently, and you can't miss it. It's like, have you ever tried like a tropic, one of those tropical Mentos? And it's like, that was the color. It was like really bright, super ugly. And, uh, but this guy was like very excited about his sports car. And, uh, well, another guy in my neighborhood about a month later bought the same car in a different color. Then the guy that lived two doors down from him a couple weeks after that bought a Corvette. And I'm thinking to myself, this is what we need to develop a vaccine for. This illness that goes around. And you know what's amazing to me is that people infect themselves with it. Because everybody's happy with their car until they see somebody else has a new car. And then they're like, oh, you got a new car? Really? I'm driving this piece of junk. (laughs) The thing is 2019. It's ancient. Right? And then it's like, and then you start like talking to yourself into it. And you're like, you know, this guy thinks he deserves a new car. I work way harder than him. You know who deserves a new car? I deserve a new car. You know a car I would really love? You know, they're probably, I think they're doing a sale this weekend, blowout sale, right? And now we're, we've, we've got, you know, I should treat myself. I, you know what? I should go down there and just look. There's no harm in just looking. I can just, I can, I can, I can just look. And next thing you know, you, a $500 car payment later, there you are infected on the same, it's just not what happens. And this is the problem that Paul is describing, that your net worth doesn't describe your worth. And you know what is interesting to me? These guys that bought these cars and like, oh yeah, I want the freedom. You're not free. Number one, you got a monster payment that's like a mortgage. And uh, the other thing is now they're all they're outside their car. They're outside all the time washing their car. Like, oh, I got to get a little bug thing. Got to clean that. Then these guys they got these guys all got like one of those covers. You know, you, you ever see it? like it's like a glove for the car. And uh, it's like, oh, do, do you need? Let me put your hat on. They put the hat on the car because the la- they don't want the bir- a bird to go to the bathroom on, on their car. And, you know, and I'm walking around and I'm enjoying my life because I haven't washed my car since Obama was president. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm just, I'm living my best life, just walking around, watching these people go crazy over nothing. And uh, now, but that's the first thing. That's what he says. Teach those who are not to be haughty, that you don't value yourself differently because of what someone has or doesn't have. The second thing that's important, he says, Uh, In verse 17, he says, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So here's the second thing. He says, don't trust in money. Listen, we pray for God to provide all of our needs, but understand that money is an inanimate object. And just because someone has money, by the way, does not mean that they have the favor of God. Now, that is a very popular teaching here in America, and it is also a very unbiblical teaching here in America. And that's the problem with putting your trust in riches is that it's totally unstable. And some of us are old enough to have lived through a market crash when your 401k turned into a 301k overnight. And you're like, how in the world did that happen? And, you're, and why? Because everybody's like one market crash away from finding out how uncertain uh, wealth is. And we experience this now as inflation creeps up and people have less buying power because you can't trust in riches. And if you can't trust in it, don't. Use 
riches and trust God. But, uh, but listen, sometimes we do the opposite. We try to use God and trust in riches and that equation simply doesn't work. The third one is this, is that God is the source of our joy. Listen, look at what he says. He says, we trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. This is such an important lesson in life that everything that we have, God has given to us to enjoy. You know, some people, they live frugally, they stay out of debt, they give generously, and all of that I commend. But here's sometimes what can happen, especially if you had been in debt and then you get out of debt and then you're like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get strict with your finances. Sometimes you do all of that and then you, you, you're unable to do this thing and that is enjoy what you've been entrusted with. And listen, that's part of it. Enjoy it. And I can assure you, you've never heard a sermon on this topic. Like, what did the pastor talk about? He said, enjoy everything we have. Like, are you sure you were at a church? You sure you weren't in the mall? Uh, and so, <laughs> but I'm telling you, listen, you know, can I just encourage you in something? And this is just a little dad tip for you. Next time you go on vacation and you get all your luggage in the car and you're about ready to pull out of the driveway to go to the airport or to go on your road trip, just do this. Pause and pray and thank God that you can go on this trip. You thank him for the funds that he provided. You thank him for the time off. You thank him for the opportunity to be away from your family. And you know what you're going to find? The level of joy that you have on this trip is multiplied. Now, once again, I'm assuming you're not paying for this vacation with credit cards because that is the, uh, if you want to know how to be miserable on vacation, that's exactly the way. Because now every time your kid wants, hey, can I have a Coke? Do you know how expensive a Coca-Cola is? Like, you know, uh, why? Because, you know, you're, it's, no, it's no fun. But listen, let me tell you what happens when you thank God for everything you're able to enjoy. There is so much joy to be found in gratitude. So you take that trip to Disney, thank God. Thank God you're able to ride those rides. Thank God you're able to eat that $25 cheeseburger. <laughs> and just enjoy it and don't feel guilty about it. And listen, it really is, when you're obeying God's financial principles, there is so much freedom and joy in, in just enjoying what God has provided for you. You know why? Because he loves you. Could you imagine getting something for your kids and they feel guilty about enjoying it? Wouldn't that just be miserable? And listen, your heavenly father loves you and he's given you all of this to manage and he's given all of you, all this for you to enjoy. And one of the ways that you can enjoy it is doing what he says next in verse 18. He says, let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Here's number four in your outline, and that is make your money do good. This is one of the secrets to enjoying everything that God has entrusted to you, and that is just make your, make your money do good. Listen, the resources that my wife and I give here at Calvary uh, and other ministries that we support bring us tremendous joy. Do you know that I get no joy out of paying my FPL bill? Never once have I gotten any kind of like tingling sensation every time I paid that bill online. But yet every time I give here at Calvary, knowing that some of it is going to pay the FPL bill, I get tremendous joy because I know every time the lights turn on here, people's lives change. The band gets to lead us into worship. Messages get to be heard. And that cafe can make the best breakfast here in the West Broward area. <laughs> right? So I tell you that, you know, some of you, and I, I see you. You'd think I don't see you, but I do. You walk in, you walk out, you've never even been upstairs. You don't even know what's up there. There is this amazing cafe. There's offices and boring things like that, but there's a cafe that really is, uh, is, is fantastic. So I would encourage you, uh, I'd encourage you to swing by. And um, we run a traditional Cuban cafe upstairs. So you, and some of you are like, really, we do? Who knew? I thought it was, when you said bread, I thought it was just bread of life. You're just handing out Bibles. And uh, we can do that too, but we also have tostada as well. So anyway, and we give you tostada in Jesus' name. And so anyway, but here's what, here's what Jesus said. Uh, he said this, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So uh, it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I turned 48 years old. And uh, well, I appreciate that. And I've had some people say, but like, pastor, you don't look a day over 47. And, uh, and it's, it's all the moisturizing I do, really. And, um, but, no, but some of my friends got together, and they bought me a new guitar. And uh, so those of you that don't know, um, that I, I've been playing guitar since I was 15. And so music is a big part of my life. And so anyway, it's amazing. I'm still in shock they did it. And the other thing that's amazing is that someone bought me a guitar for my birthday last year, like my dream guitar they bought for me last year. And so 
My son, after we had, they, they did a birthday party for me after church a couple weeks ago, and um, my, I was sitting in the living room with my son, Xander, and he's like, Dad, you've gotten a new guitar two years in a row. How do you feel? I'm like, Xander, how do I feel? I feel very excited about next year. And, uh, <laughs> and so, now, I, listen, people here at Calvary are so kind and sometimes I'll just talk about something that I like, just joking around, and it will show up in my office. So one day I did a message, and I was just joking around, talking about how much I love nerds, you know, the little nerd candy. I, I love nerds. And some, the next day, I got a box in the mail from Amazon with a package of 250 nerds. I was wired. Uh, I mean, I only ate like 75 of them, but still. Um, and my, the Calvary staff, I was like, man, they like me a little bit more today because I gave them nerds. Anyway, I talk, uh, sometimes you hear me talk about my uh, bordering on addiction to Oreo cookies, and uh, someone got me a subscription. I don't know if you know this, but Oreo has a subscription where you can get, like, first of all, as if we needed that. And, uh, but you can get a subscription to uh, Oreo, and they'll mail you all kinds of different limited edition Oreos and so I had like Olympics-themed Oreos. And anyway, it was, it was pretty awesome. And um, so that's why I have this joke that from now on, I'm only going to talk about Bitcoin. And so, uh, well, as it happens, a friend of mine bought me some Bitcoin for my birthday. And so my, uh, when I had the guitar conversation with my son, he's like, Dad, how many Bitcoins do you own? I'm like, well... I, a, Bitcoin, a Bitcoin right now is running at around $61,000. So I don't own a Bitcoin, but I do own 0. 0.00000875 of a Bitcoin. So it's not a lot, but I'm in the game. And so, but you know, here's the thing that's weird. Is that I have checked the price of Bitcoin every day since I got it. I follow a YouTube channel now that all the guy talks about is cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, um, and all because someone put treasure somewhere with my name on it and my heart instinctively followed. And that is the thing that Jesus was saying. That is a fact of life. Whatever you want your heart to follow, put resources there and your heart cannot help but move in that direction. And that's why, listen, when you decide to, to make your resources do good and you invest in the kingdom of God, you know what happens? Your heart can't help but follow because it's doing the thing that Jesus said it would do. Follow where your treasure is. Well, he says at the end of verse 18, he says that they, be, uh, they do good, rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Number five is this, hold your money with an open hand. Paul says that they should be ready to give and willing to share. This is a heart of generosity. Now, let me tell you um, what most of us have, and that is we have generous thoughts. What I mean by that is, man, I wish that I had X amount so that I could be generous. But listen, the reality is, is that generosity is something that has to be built into your life. That means you have to plan for generosity. You have to budget for generosity. You've got to say, I'm not going to get into debt so that I can be generous and trusting that whatever it is that I give, that God will make it up. And we've seen this happen so many times uh, over the years. And, and once again, you can watch other people live it, but you've got to decide to take that step yourself. And then number six, he says this in verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Here's the last thing, and that is give like eternity matters. Every time you and I give, we are affirming that we believe in the world to come because we are not living like this life is all that there is. And I want you to notice the thing that Paul says, all six of these instructions to those who are rich is that it can boil down to one thing. Don't let money control you, you control it. That we leverage these things that matter, we enjoy it, we give it all away because it's what joyful people do. And listen, if we're already rich compared to the rest of the world, then let's just act like it. And let's do what Paul says, and you know what we're going to find? Tremendous joy, which is what he says is waiting for us there. And then verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. The faith. Grace be with you all. Amen.
Last thing I want to tell you, and then we're done. And that is be rich in godly wisdom. I want you to think about this for a minute. When Paul says at the end, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. How do you guard an idea? That's kind of an interesting thought, right? How do you guard a truth? It's it's not like how you guard a thing, right? If you want to guard a thing, you lock it up. You You alarm it. You put it under guard. But an idea is different. A truth is different. How do you safeguard wisdom? Instead, what we do is the only way that we can safeguard a truth or safeguard wisdom is by sharing it, right? We share it and repeat it and pass it on so that even if a counterfeit comes along, no one will believe it. And this means we're able also to defend it because people look on and see what God is doing in our lives and that we're different than who we used to be. And that's why I love this final phrase to go back to verse 19 where he talks about those who are rich. He says that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean if rich people give, they get to go to heaven when they die. That's not what that means. Um, that mean, that it, would be, it would say that they should give that they may attain eternal life. He's saying that you may lay hold of it. You may like grab it. What he's saying is, is simply this, is that when you come to know Jesus and you become rich in godly character, rich in generosity, rich in wisdom, you are already living eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you give your life to Jesus and he begins transforming your life from what it was to everything that it can be. So think about that, that eternal life can start right now. You can invite Jesus into your life and watch him change you from the inside out. You see, some of us need that to happen and some of us, we find ourselves like Lazarus. If you remember the story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus, Lazarus had died and Jesus waited a couple of days to to go see him and his family and he goes to the city outside of Jerusalem called Bethany and he sees Mary and Martha who are Lazarus' brother and sister and they say to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And he said this, he says, I am the resurrection and the life and that whoever dies and believes in me, yet will he live. And Jesus walks up to the tomb and weeps. And then he says three words, Lazarus, come forth. And that guy who was dead stood up and walked out of the tomb. But here's the thing that I find so amazing is that he was alive, but he still had his grave clothes on. He was alive, but he still looked like he was gone. And that, listen, my point is this, is that some of us have heard Jesus call our name, and yet we still haven't stepped into the life that God has for us, and we're living less than everything that God has for us. Listen, the beginning of eternal life is Jesus forgiving you. The beginning of eternal life is when we stop living with all the regrets that we have and all the stuff that we're praying that nobody ever finds out about. Here's a little secret. He already knows, and he loves you anyway. Listen, 28 years ago, 28 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. And I've said this many times. I wasn't looking for him, but I'm really glad he was looking for me. And that, dis- that one decision, changed every aspect of my life to this day. And here's what I know to be the absolute truth is that God wants to do that very same thing for you. Jesus rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven, but that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. And so maybe some of us, listen, maybe we've received that, we've accepted that, we're saying, yeah, I've been forgiven, but we're still walking around in the grave clothes and we haven't walked into the life We haven't laid hold of eternal life and everything that God has for us. And maybe it's time for us to come forth. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand, if you would, as we close. Jesus calls out to Lazarus and he says, come forth. And that was his moment to walk away from death and and embrace the life that God had for him. And maybe this is our moment as well, that we can come forth and rise above our past. We can come forth and 
uh, put our failures behind. We can come forth and move past our pain. Come forth and put all of our failures behind. Come forth and listen. Let go of all the guilt and the things that have been holding us down. All the fear that we have, we can come forth and put it behind us. We can come forth and walk away from doubt. That maybe it's time to come forth and walk away from who we used to be and embrace who God is calling us to be. That God wants to take your life and transform it and forgiveness is just the beginning of eternal life, not the end. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the minute that you become truly alive and you invite Jesus to come into your life. And so here's what I want to do as we close because I I know this for sure that some of us, we know that God's calling us to more. God's been calling us to, to change, to be transformed. And then listen, maybe today, maybe today God's given us the perfect day and this is the moment that we walk away from the grave and we step into the life, the eternal life that he has for us. And that begins today. So the band is going to start playing in just a minute. And here's what I want to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to come forth. I'm going to invite you from wherever it is that you're standing to meet me here at the base of the stage. And we're going to pray together. We're going to call out together. And here's what we're going to find. We're going to find life together that Jesus has been waiting for us waiting to transform us and that this is simply the beginning of everything that he has for us come on up come on up and if this is you as well if this is you as well then listen this is your moment you come forward right now the band's gonna lead us come on listen here's what I know is that there can be this wrestling that happens where we we're sitting in our seat but we know that where we're supposed to be and we're just like yeah man he's going to close soon and then I'll be able to figure it out on the way home let me tell you what happens on the way home I've talked to a lot of people who have done that let me tell you what happens on the way home is that you you drive home and you're like that's I should have been there I should have taken a step I should have come forth and I didn't and now this just becomes one more regret listen let's be honest what do you have to lose you've been living it your way I mean what what do you have to lose to just take a step in Jesus's direction because listen if nothing changes nothing changes but if something changes then everything changes so maybe this is the step that we need in this moment right now for God to do his great work in your life. And some of us are hearing him call our name saying, hey, come forth. So if that's you, listen, the band's not gonna play again. If you need to be here, listen, I just want you to come up. Come up right now. We're gonna wait a second for you. I don't want you to walk out here with that regret. If you came invited by someone, listen, if you attend Calvary and you invited a friend, you turn to them, you say, if you wanna come up, I'll go up there with you. see God move in your life. Yeah. God bless you guys. God bless you. Is anybody else? This is your moment. Listen, those of you that have come forward, this is such an important decision. 
Whether you're coming to Jesus for the very first time or you're coming to Jesus for the 50th time, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you want to see God do a work. Yeah, we're going to wait for you. Come on. God wants to do a work. And if this is what it took, now this time is for real, then this time it's for real. Yeah, God bless you. But this is the moment. And here's what I know, is that when we call out to him, we can be different. Things can change. Some things that he's going to involve us in the change and other things that he's just going to transform us instantly. And how do I know that? Because I've lived it. I've lived it. I'm living it. That he wants to change us. He wants to change you. Why? Because he created you. Because he loves you. So we're going to pray together. And then I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And then we're going to watch God work as he changes our lives from the inside out. Church, let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your amazing work that you want to do, that you've begun in so many, but that you want to begin in these lives. And you made us a promise that you who began a good work in us, you're going to be faithful to complete it. And so, Lord, I pray that as these precious hearts call out to you that you would hear them, that you would answer, and that you would act and transform them for now and for eternity as they lay hold on eternal life. Those of you that have come forward, I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer. We're all going to pray it together, but I want you to just out loud, just pray, Dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry for all I've done, but I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.